Hey everyone, and welcome to episode three of the podcast, Who We Are and What Makes Us Human, with me, Kayla Cedar. This week, I'm joined by, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I think he's a pretty awesome guest, my husband, Michael Cedar. Uh, we're going to tackle a pretty hefty subject, and that's religion. We recorded this episode a while ago. Um, I think it's been about two months since we recorded it, and I have edited it a couple of times. I've listened to it a bunch of times, pretty much done everything I possibly could to procrastinate releasing the episode, including recording another episode and releasing it <laughs> before this one. So actually, chronologically, the episode with Talia, that is episode two on the podcast, was actually recorded after this episode with Michael was recorded. And I didn't procrastinate because I think it doesn't have, this episode doesn't have good content or because I think it isn't worthy of sharing or uh, it isn't a powerful episode. I procrastinated, to be honest, because of fear. If you follow me on Instagram, if you don't, you should, who we are podcast uh, on Instagram. I posted about a month ago about procrastination and what I've learned about it. And what I'd learned about it is that procrastination is really a, a tool of fear, right? So we get, we get all up in our head about something, we get nervous about something. And so we look for ways to procrastinate it. So we can avoid that. We can avoid that fear. I definitely find myself doing that a lot lately. I find myself doing that specifically, I feel, in the age of social media and Instagram and Amazon Prime and pretty much all of these different things that are available to us now, which allow us instant gratification. I feel like it's a lot harder to live these days if we're not getting an immediate reward for our actions, which is, it's just not possible all the time in life, obviously, and we know that. But I feel like societally, we've gotten at least I can speak for myself, I've gotten used to things happening quickly right away, right? You order a package, it comes two days later. If it doesn't, you get frustrated. Like, what is that? <laughs> it's amazing. And we barely appreciate it anymore. If you want to laugh, you just open up your phone and scroll on Reels or TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, like YouTube, Amazon, Prime Video, Netflix, it's all right there and available for us. We barely have to wait for anything. And so I feel like when it comes to working on things, it's, it's definitely harder, obviously, to focus. But I feel like the fear is stronger, right? Like it's going to take longer to do this and it's going to be uncomfortable and we're worried about the uncomfortability of it. So when I talk about fear, I talk about that. That's what I'm referencing, but I'm actually also referencing the actual fear of recording this episode. In my intro to the podcast, I talked about, you know, putting myself out there and being vulnerable and being afraid of the reviews that this is going to receive and what people are going to think and what people are going to think about me and that's something I struggle with for sure. But I think when it comes to this episode, it's stronger. And that's because this episode, it's it's really close to home. Uh, but it's not only close to home for me, it's close to home for a lot of the people in my life that I love a lot. So we talk about religion, we talk about Judaism specifically. And I was so afraid to release the episode because I was so afraid about the what how it's going to be received, particularly by the friends and family that I love that are still practicing Orthodox religion, um, observing Judaism. And so before we dive into this episode, I want to, I guess it's, it's not like an apology or disclaimer. It's more of just like a, Hey, FYI, <laughs> um, you know, for, for your knowledge, for your info, we're speaking our truths in this episode. And so Mike and I have had a complicated relationship and journey with religion and we're going to get into it. 
it's going to be a little sticky in areas uh, and it's not all going to be fluffy and it's not all going to be positive. But that's the point of this podcast, right? To talk about the things that are difficult. We do talk a lot about the things that we struggled with in Judaism in our journey, the things that were tough for us, the things that made us walk away from it or at least parts of it. But we also talk about the beauty of Judaism, the beauty of the religion and the community and and the relationship we have with it now. And it's super different for me and for him, which you'll see. Uh, And that's cool. We're very, (laughs) very different people. If you know us, you know that. If you don't, you'll find out. But I do want to just take a minute to emphasize, you know, how proud we are to be Jewish, to have grown up in a community of people that we love and respect and who love and respect us and who give us, you know, grace and and understanding and empathy, uh, even though our paths are different. And so we do the same for them. And all that being said, we live our lives differently than we used to and than most of the people in our life. So maybe the first time that some people we love are hearing this and that's cool. I'm excited to share it and I hope that if you're listening, you walk away with an understanding, with a deeper sense of empathy, sympathy. Maybe it resonates with you. Maybe it totally doesn't. Maybe you want to have a conversation about it. I'm open. I'm here. We both are. So yeah, without further ado, here's episode three. Finally. This is the first in-person, two-person episode. (laughs) Uh, Like live from our house. Live from our studio. Yeah. So, um, hi. And this is... Michael Cedar. Michael Cedar. And I'm pumped to have you on my podcast. I guess the first few episodes I'm just going to be taking people from the Cedar family. Closest circles. Closest circles. Yeah, so let's start with how do we know each other? Well, uh, we've been married now for six and a half years. <laughs> Almost six and a half years, yeah. Uh, August of 2016. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we know each other for a little longer than that. Yeah, we know each other since we're teenagers. Teenagers. <laughs> um, so I was 15 when we met and you were 16. Debatable. Mm-hmm. And now I am 30, just turned 30 in June, and you are? 31. Turning 32 in a couple months. So half of our lives have been with each other. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Eh, let's not focus on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel good about it. Um, and I'm excited to have you here, first of all, because we talk a lot, so why not share conversations with the general public um and also because i think this is going to be a really interesting topic to talk about together we're going to talk today a little bit about religion the big r word we both grew up from which is how you say religious in the religious circles (laughs) what does from mean actually is it yiddish do you know it is yiddish um i don't know i don't know think about it yeah um, Michael does know a little bit of Yiddish. So Michael is from Israel and he moved here when he was about, I guess, 18, 17. Maybe. <laughs> um, and he speaks fluent Hebrew and so he also speaks a couple words of Yiddish here and there, which is, it isn't really relevant, but that's why I asked if he knows what the word from is. So anyway, so we both grew up religious and 
we've had kind of a long, complicated path with religion, which uh, the religion of choice for us is, or of choice or of not choice, which we'll get into a little bit, is Judaism. It's definitely not of choice. It definitely wasn't of choice. Whether or not what you chose now is different, but definitely was not our choice Mm -hmm. to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of, this is a prelude of where we're going to go with this. So, yeah, I thought it would be interesting for us to talk a little bit about where we came from and, and then, you know, coming full, cir- full circle to where we are today. And I think it's going to be an interesting conversation because we've had um, different but similar journeys and then we've come to a different but similar place. So I think it could be cool to talk about that. You down? I'm down. All right. Awesome. So... I'd love to start with you. Can you tell me, can you tell, not me, I know, but can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so um, I grew up in a very religious neighborhood in Jerusalem, Israel, in what we call ultra-Orthodox school, boys only. I don't really like ultra-Orthodox. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of... Some other context uh, in which that word has been used Yeah, that we don't love. But, but but a very Jewish, uh, a very observant, a, a very yeah. But uh, I don't. I I kind of take offense to very observant mm-hmm. versus less observant. Right. When you observe differently. Right. Um, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I don't know that it's more. It's it, it's it is a more extreme version of of mm-hmm. observing. But I don't know that I would call it. I don't know. I think that yeah, I think that more true. and less is not really the right way to look at it. I would say more conservative. Definitely. So forget about the word ultra-Orthodox. You grew up in an Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem, Israel, that was incredibly conservative in their way of practice, in their way of thinking, and in their way of observance. Yeah, and in their uh, closeness to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, school that I went to was all boys, which was um, is kind of the the norm for that community. Mm-hmm. Boys and girls were separate. Um, From zero. Uh, yeah, maybe. From ma- maybe like preschool. Yeah. Some people will have um, co-ed, but first grade definitely, definitely a, a no-no. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, even before that. Yeah, and your family was similar, right? Your family and all the families in your community. Yeah, my family, my my both my parents grew up uh, here in the states, and their families were not religious. They met on a program of people who wanted to become more religious, and then they eventually did both become religious and they married here in the U.S. and then moved together, moved to Israel together before any of us were born, mm-hmm. and then me and my six siblings were all born in Israel. Mm-hmm. Subsequent, subsequently, most of us uh, left Israel. At this point, we are mostly yeah. here, but my parents are still there, and some of my siblings are still there. So yeah, that's a little bit about you. My upbringing is really similar. Also grew up in the U.S. for a majority of my life since I was four years old. Also grew up in a very conservative, observant Jewish religious community that was separate schooling, uh, you know, definitely no boys and girls together from when I was little, from preschool to grown up, to to grown up, preschool to throughout high school. Most of my friends and the families that my family was friends with were similar. Another important thing to think about here and to talk about here is the way 
that the education exists in these ultra-Orthodox, or we said we're not going to use that word, but the way that the, the education exists in the very religious communities, which is definitely different here than in Israel, right? Um, and also different for boys and for girls. So uh, in the U.S., the way that I was educated was, for anyone who doesn't know, the way that it works when you go to a yeshiva, which is a Jewish religious school, private school, is obviously, like we said, separate boys and girls. So I went to an all-girls yeshiva, and then half the day is dedicated to what they call limude kodesh, which means directly translates to holy studies, which is basically Bible studies, right? So the first half of the morning of the day, so let's say from 8.30 in the morning or 9 in the morning till 12, 12.30 in the afternoon is dedicated to religious studies, and then the rest of the afternoon is dedicated to what we call secular subjects or English subjects. So it's just interesting. Like, that's like funny first of all right because it's it's called secular because it the implication is that it's other than religious right so that's like that's something that i think is funny now like looking back and it's just it's so, such a normal term that you grew up with but what was the day structure for boys let's say not preschool but let's say like from i don't know third fourth fifth grade and up so so yeah from first grade it's similar it's similar where you have like basic learning you know uh, math we never learned any english but Hebrew and and math and geography and you know same regular stuff um, half day mm-hmm. the day were sh- the days were shorter you still would have till probably about eleven or twelve that it would be that it would be um, Jewish studies and then after that you'd have a couple hours of secular studies like you said and then third fourth fifth grade maybe you you're you're in school a little bit longer till four or five so you have a couple more hours for for English studies. But then after that, it it kind of phases out slowly, where you you just learn more and more Jewish studies. Where eventually, after eighth grade, you're expected to have a basic education, in quotes. You, yeah, you don't we'll talk, really, but yeah, we'll talk about that. Right, exactly. but and the the basic information that you need to to get through life, you have. So from there on, you're basically expected to just continue in uh, Jewish studies unless you are going for something specific which yeah. people do go for different jobs and stuff like that but it's not the norm yeah 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 and i think it's the same here also obviously we're not talking about more modern or less conservative jewish communities in new york so even let's say in our neighborhood where we live now there is a large spread of level of religious right it's it's a spectrum so the less quote unquote conservative you get the more the English studies are focused on in education and then also the higher quality of that education. And so that goes the other way also. So what you were saying before about the education that you get up to grade eight or whatever it is in Israel is considered a basic English or a basic, you know, general world education, math, social studies, geography, English, all that sort of stuff. But it's uh, it's it's pretty subpar. (laughs) And it also, most of it has its own twist on, like, uh-huh. you know, the geography that pertains to... to the Bible. And, right. And, yeah. and history of the Jews. And uh-huh. it's mostly... Be, but I, yeah. mean, I guess that's for for really any any country or any yes. any school. Every, everyone has their, their bias and they teach it from their point of view. But I, f- I feel like it's more noticeable mm-hmm. in, in religious circles. And that goes mm-hmm. for any religion. Yeah, um, and the things that are left out, like even when we got to science and like 
even like ninth grade so we're like 14 15 years old and learning about the reproductive system and things like that we definitely at least in my experience did not learn fully like how baby like where babies come from and how babies are made and all that it was like just as it pertains to getting a period as a woman but like nothing else it's a mixture of of two things it's they avoid the things that they will deem inappropriate Mm -hmm. and and they they don't want to they don't want to address that and have to kind of answer to how and what and why as well as the things that they think are more important. So it's a little bit of both. It's things that they don't think will do anything for you. You don't need to know about other countries or what their history is because you have no reason to ever need it. And then there are there are topics that they'll just really avoid because they can't go there or, yeah. or they feel that it's inappropriate, inappropriate for them to go there. Right. And I think let's talk about what inappropriate is for a second just because... I want to expand on that a little bit and obviously there's inappropriate in the general sense of the word where you think about it as in talking about sexual subjects is not appropriate right like that's inappropriate even in some areas of non-jewish like you're not going to start talking about sex at the top of your lungs at work right there's a level of appropriateness that is somewhat accepted in the general world but when we talk about inappropriate here in these religious circles we're talking also about the closeness the close-mindedness that you referred to earlier in the education system and the Jewish communities, which is that the belief in the Jewish community, and you know, I want to hear your take on this too, is that you are meant to be raised as an observant Jew. You're meant to stay an observant Jew, and you're meant to live your life as an observant Jew, right? So that's cool. That's like their belief, obviously, and their desire. And then anything that might threaten that from happening. So anything that might threaten you observing the religion and remaining an observant Jew is considered inappropriate because of the threat that it is because of the because of the, because it's a potential threat to that objective of you observing Jewish life. Yeah, and again, I don't think that's unique to to Judaism. Mm-hmm. I think that um, yeah, there's an element of that in every religion. Yeah, and in every community, in every society, if you're someone who's like not religious at all, completely atheist or agnostic, and you let's say, don't believe in that and you don't want to raise your kids like that and you have a very open-minded mentality, but if your kid comes home to you and starts thinking about exploring more conservative or even just more spiritual avenues in a way that you disagree with, you're probably going to be threatened by that because it's threatening what you think is right in the world, right? Right, and they, they usually try to present it as you can ask anything. Uh-huh. In our experience, in, in right, yeah. right. In my experience, like you can, you can ask anything. There's answers for everything. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, the goal is for you not to ask certain things because mm-hmm. you'll never know to ask them, and I'll never get there. But once you right. ask it, everything is always, you know, very simple. You know, this is what God wanted, or this is what we do, and and you're supposed to kind of accept that that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is when you want real answers, and when right. you really start digging and asking, you know more difficult questions then you'll start getting very different reactions of like yep. you can't ask that yep. well how would you even go there those are there's, there's certain things sacrilegious you just cannot say that you can't even think that mm-hmm. but again they kind of it seems like they kind of hope that it that you never get there they, the, the bubble is is thick enough that you won't even reach there and i would say most people probably don't yeah and that's simplest way for them to deal with it but once but once you start asking, again, they'll try to shut down as soon as possible. But if you're not, if you're not okay with the answers that you get, 
and you start creating too many waves, then I feel in many cases you'll be pushed away, pushed away from the community completely yeah. just for fear of you disturbing the uh-huh. the, 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 the rest of, the, of the, your friends or your family members or whatever it is, yeah. creating too many waves, and they don't want that. Correct. So there's this insular society, which you use the word bubble. That's a really good word for it. We, we use that a lot like when we talk about it amongst ourselves, our friends. So you grow up in this bubble where everything that you live, eat, and breathe is Judaism, observing Judaism, religious, God, and you know we'll probably use some of the terms that we grew up with also to describe these things because that that's like kind of what hit, hits home right and then as you get older you're told you know there are there are people out there who wonder and they ask these questions but there's an answer for everything because we're the one true one i even had a class in high school where we learned about other religions and the entire class was devoted to how all these other religions were so ridiculous and how could anyone believe in these other religions and it's, it was everything it was christianity in all its forms it was buddhism it was like everything you know and and then the, the, the kind of the goal of the class was to be like, there was never, we never asked really the question of, is there a God or should religion exist? It was more like, obviously there is. And like, these are the silly ones and these are dumb. And so like, this is why Judaism makes the most sense in a very obviously biased lens to, to redirect you. Right. But again, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like, you can ask mm-hmm. whatever you want, but just keep in mind we already looked into it. Right. We know more than you. Yes. We checked all of this. Mm-hmm. So don't worry about it. You don't, re- you don't really need to ask any of these questions. And I find I, I had it in my school and many people that I've spoken to about it almost always, there's almost always someone introduced that you are supposed to feel is very worldly. Like uh-huh. this person left the religion. He went and did X, Y, and Z. He went and traveled in India. He tried everything. He knows everything. He asked uh-huh. all the right questions and he came back to the yep. one real truth and here he is to explain to you and and this is really the only one truth uh-huh. so again implying that therefore you don't even need to ask questions anymore someone has already done it yeah. and and it would only be a waste of time this person who's so worldly had already it. checked everything so yeah. so you're good again they present it in a way like ask anything but also encourage you to like you don't really need to ask anything it's all been done and we have it here packaged beautifully here just take it and run with it because we're telling you that this is all um curated and already you know all the right moves are all in this book yeah kind of thing and i had it in the in a different example which it's like so funny that just the different ways but the same sort of concept which is that not necessarily this is somebody who left and came back we definitely had that but i think less than maybe like some of my male friends had and you obviously but it was more like we have so many rabbis at our fingertips we have so many of our elders our community leaders who are at our fingertips and they are so smart and they know everything and they are geniuses they went as far to talk about how smart they were by comparing it to things that were sort of a given as smart so for example they would say that if you learn gemara which is what many men are encouraged to learn once they're you know 13 and up like the main form of torah study is called gemara and so they would say if you learn gemara it's just like the the brain muscles required for you to learn gemara are the same that are required for you to be a lawyer or to go to court or to argue so that's like something i heard a lot growing up so it would basically be like these people who sit all day and learn gemara they're not like wasting their time studying the bible they're like using their brain muscles figuring out these problems like really 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 building on their intelligence and they're super smart and then the next step past that is they're so smart 
They looked into it. They found all the answers. Don't you worry your pretty little head about it. And that might be a little bit more on the girls' schools, you know? And I think, and also what I want to talk about here is just like the difference between you and me and the way that that was interpreted because I think like just our personalities, my nature is is a little bit like, cool. Like I don't necessarily need the answers. Like I trust that if somebody who's like quote unquote smarter than me or more worldly than me or more intelligent than me looked into it and asked the answers, like I'm fine with trusting that. Like that's, you know, the kind of, that was my personality back then i've changed obviously but your personality was never like that yeah i can't just accept that exactly but i also only have a problem with half of that uh-huh. i i don't i don't completely disagree with the fact that the type of of studies that that judaism like the like you said gemara um give you uh, the, the type of, of brain muscles that it takes to to learn it do actually mm-hmm. help you a lot and it is a lot of back and forth and getting to the root of a problem or, or a reason. Um, I think that it, that it, yeah, it is healthy. It's not, it's not just you sitting and, and people throwing information at you and, and you just like a zombie soaking it You're all right. up. Yes. Um, it doesn't mean that it gives you actual tangible information that you can go and do much with your life, but you aren't brain dead at the end of Correct. it. I'm saying it, it does have its own benefits and its right. own, um, it's not like you're sitting passively in front of a screen all day, right? Watching stuff, and your brain's going to mush. Just like as an example, right? You're engaging, you're engaging in debate and problem solving and things like that. That's true, right? That's true. Yeah. What I was trying to bring out is more about the fact that it was like they're not stupid. This is why we know they're not stupid, which is true. And then the other piece of it, which is just well, because they know, so you should just take it as a given. Right, but you can never say that. You can never say that because it always has to be this impression of you. That we have all the answers, so there's nothing that you can't ask. Well, that's not true, though. We didn't really get that. So, like, that's true for your experience. Right. But that wasn't so much my experience. Once we got to a point where they, where people were asking, or when we got to a stage where people would be like, "Well, why don't we have a hashgafa class?" Hashgafa is how do you describe hashgafa? Like, what's that translation um, of that word? I don't know. Um, it's kind of like theory. Almost or like. No, it's not theory. It's, it's um. It's I, I don't know. It's like Jewishness. It's it's like a. Okay, it's like it, a concept of Jewishness. Okay, right. so we would say like in our in the girls' schools, hashkafa was often related to like um, like if you say like what's your hashkafa, it's kind of like what's your world view on Judaism, right? So for us, when people would ask about those kinds of classes, it would be like they were looking for the worldview on Judaism as it relates to other things. And I think also the natural part of being 15, 16, 17 is you want to hear how Judaism looks at certain things that you are naturally curious about as a young lady that's growing up, right? So like you're starting to think about things outside of your little bubble because you're 15, 16, 17 and you have hormones and you're exposed to, and also, you know, like we didn't grow up without any exposure to like outside world or media. Like we weren't supposed to have a TV at home, but there were portions of time where my family did have a TV at home. I had friends who had TVs at home. I watched Disney movies growing up. I wasn't like completely, completely in a bubble in that way. So like you're exposed to these ideas of like love and romance and all different things. And so when we're asking for like Hashkafa classes, we're asking for like, what's the Jewish point of view on this? What's the Jewish point of view in general? And so once we went out there and we started seeking answers, then we were told, yeah, of course you can ask anything. We have all the answers. But then, and I don't know if this is something you were told, but we were told, 
bitachon is believing and understanding and getting the answers trusting. for trusting wait so okay so so your observance is going to be 90% or 95% yes this is a question we have an answer for this and this is that and this and that but there is 5% that is pure bitachon which is pure blind faith so we will be able to give you 95% sorry so we will be able to give you 95% of the answers to your questions but there will always be a 5% of just blind faith and that's just how religion works and it was kind of like this implication of if that wasn't good with you you're not at that high you're not at a high enough spiritual level but also something that that's important to notice is where is that 5% mm-hmm. because the 5% is usually implied that you know, obviously you believe in God. Obviously you believe he created the world. You believe in all these basic things. Those things are given. Right. And then we just want to know how to live our lives. So all these things, oh, you, you know, that you do and you live your, your life based off of that. And if sometimes there'll be questions that you don't have the answers to, but that's okay because you know that all the basics are there uh-huh. and you don't really need to have every single small answer because it doesn't matter enough because right. you know that the bigger picture is all there. Only once you start digging deeper into the base into the basics exactly you understand that that five percent is the initial five percent that everything is built off of right so you 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 have to take an initial leap of faith Mm -hmm. and you made some very large assumptions and you decided that these things are fact and then you say okay i can fit these things into that narrative once i know that these things are fact but it makes a big difference where that five percent is yeah. And how many things you built off of these concepts that you were given as as non-negotiable facts. Were you given any proofs to those non-negotiables? Like you said, God created the world. No, I, I mean, I, I don't believe in that. So but, but you, therefore, I don't, up, I don't, I don't given, think that there are. No, but were I you couldn't given, have been given those so proofs because they, because I don't think they exist. But so I wasn't. We were, I wasn't. Given, we were. We were told like this is why the Big Bang actually works with the Torah. Like this, it's not contradictory, and like this is why, and this is why the science makes sense. And right. So that's I think that's, that's one of the big differences between, I mean, American. more reli- American, but also like more religious, more closed. Um, these concepts don't exist in the circles that I grew up with. Right. Big Bang evolution and, is a non. And the whole the whole system kind of feels to me like they will, and and it's school by school, country by country, generation by generation, is what can we get away with, uh-huh. and they will not address anything that they don't think they absolutely have to. So if they can get away with it, the answers are good enough, they will not address it. If it's all around them and they need to address it, right, then they will. So if we're not talking about it, mm-hmm. or even if it comes up, it's like this ridiculous concept of like, can you imagine these non-religious people <laughs> think that like there was this crazy explosion and everything came from that? Like, And you laugh about it and you move on. Mm-hmm. But it's not actually something that needs to be addressed or that they want to be addressed and that's something that changes and i will see like people who are now the age that i was then are not getting the same information because there are Mm -hmm. things that are now all around them that have to be addressed so the story does kind of change and and more and not so much a story changes as much as the things that are addressed change and sometimes the the things that have to be um adopted um like like the big bang theory or something like that so for you i guess you were you had a right you were at a a little bit of a different stage on that on that scale and they had to address it so they kind of explained it and showed it to for us they would never they would never go there it wasn't necessary interesting and now yeah
Okay, so we spent a lot of time talking about like our past and our experience. So my next question for you is when did you start to doubt that initial 5% or just in general start to have questions? Because I want to say that when we were young, so we, so just like our background a little bit, which I won't get too into because not the point, but we, we were each other's first boyfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> um, I was 15, you were 16. We dated for a summer and then you went back to Israel and we stayed friends. And there was one point where I was questioning a little bit. Um, and I have to say that I think it was a little bit more of a teen angst phase where like I was trying to be different and I was like, what's the, I was going through my own like personal things and I was like, well, kind of what's the point? And it might've been like a little bit looking for attention. And Did so I was like- have anything to do with the fact that I was questioning? No, that's what I was- It was not? So that's where I'm getting. So I, there was a phase where let's say you went back to Israel and we, we stayed in touch for a while, like six months after that. And then- we were talking the phone like almost every night and probably like a month or two after you left, I had started, I was like, like I said, I was going through my own shit. And so I was, I guess, looking for a way to sort of like find myself or maybe just get attention. I don't know. I was a pretty angsty 15 year old. And so, and so I remember like saying like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like, what's the point? And I remember talking to you on the phone and you like basically convinced me to stay religious. Do you remember this? No. You don't remember this? No. Surprising. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. So I was like, whatever. And you were like, what do you mean? Like, you have to, whatever. And then, two, I think it was two years later, you came to America and you came to America not religious. And then we talked about it. And, I, and at that point, I would try to like convince you and I would take you to, to lectures of rabbis who talked about staying religious and stuff like that. But... So what I'm saying is that there was definitely a point where, for a long time where you were very, very strong in your faith. Yeah, but, but I feel like it's mostly that's the default. Again, you're, you're, you're sort of brainwashed. So yeah. you can't imagine anyone, to you, it's so obvious that's the truth. You can't imagine anyone else questioning it. But I don't really know. It's hard to say when it started. It's, it's, it's you know, little cracks that, that appear and then you start questioning. I think that even before this time that you're saying that I was this strong in my religion, there definitely were questions. But... The difference, the main difference is there are questions that come from the point of, I know that this is the truth, I know this is the fact, and I have questions, and you are genuinely trying to to, um, to find answers, but you're almost trying to, to to jam this square peg into this round hole. You know that it's that it's the truth, you just, are, you need to find a way to make it fit. Mm-hmm. You're not really questioning, you're not really trying to get any uh, to the bottom of something and get and get the real answer. Mm-hmm. You you already decided what the answer is. You just need to make it work. Okay. And then the major shift is when you when you're like wait 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 maybe it's not the truth. Maybe I've been yeah. going about this the wrong way. And for me, um, as as a teenager, I had I had a few friends who were older than me, and I feel like that um, made a big difference because they were kind of almost ahead of me at this. They were questioning. And we would have these like debates, these arguments, and I was always coming from the point of, again, it's definitely true. It's of course true. Now let me try and see how I can explain it to this lost soul <laughs> who doesn't really understand it, and and put him back on the right path, so to speak, and and try to make you know try to answer their questions. Sometimes take their questions and take it back to my rabbi, take it back to someone else, and try to figure out how I can put them to rest. Um, so that kind of after years of you know trying and looking and, and searching eventually i feel like it it it, it dawned on me that you're like wait a minute why did i decide that this is the truth why am i going so strongly in that direction 
maybe I need to look at it objectively and maybe it's it's not that necessary or maybe even before you start doubting the whole thing, you're like, maybe it doesn't have to be exactly in this way. Maybe I'm looking at it differently. Maybe there are, there are other ways. Maybe it's not as strict as this. And then once you really start questioning, I feel like if you're honest with yourself, at least in my experience, it will unravel pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, from my point of view, that it that there isn't much truth to it. Right. Um, and I don't know if this is the right time to, to bring this up, but I think that it is important to separate religion from, from Jewishness. The religion, you know, Judaism as a culture versus Judaism as a religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and... As a culture, it's not really a matter of right or wrong. It doesn't have to be right. It's it's who we are. It's what we've been doing. It's our traditions. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of beauty in that. And I, I, I don't want to take that away from anyone or from myself, even though it's not the same when you... Yeah. When, when <laughs> you start questioning, like, okay, this is all beautiful, but it's a difficult thing to do, or it's out of my way, or whatever it is. And if it's no longer something that you have to do... Right you start questioning like, okay, do I really need to do it? It's not, or when you do it, it's not coming from the same place, which again, can be very beneficial and and, and nice and you can do it in your own way and there's lots of benefit to that, but it definitely changes it. Um, But again, separating that from, from the faith, from the faith and from this is what God wants and you know, you're going to get smitten if you don't do X, Y, and Z. Um, Those two are very, two very different things and they don't have to go together. Correct. And I think that's a little bit about what, we, what we'll talk about in a bit as well as how we came to that place where we have a love and a tradition that we lean into and that we explore and that we live, but it is separate from the faith. And also you and I have very different opinions about faith and that's fine also, but we've kind of come to the same place. But I guess I have kind of like a maybe a, a potential tangent question, which is, I wonder, and I feel like we've spoken about this in the past, but I wonder if you and I, and I can give my own opinion about myself, grew up in a different sect, in a different sect of Judaism that wasn't so conservative, if we would have gone looking, like if we would have left. So I've said in the past, like it's possible that if it wasn't as extreme, I would never feel the need to question, which is why I'm so thankful for it being as extreme as it was. And me not still being stuck there, like um, I think but that what if I you think stuck that I'm. Yeah, was... I think so. Because because again, I, I think that I'm much happier. Oh, you would be stuck there in the sense of looking at someone in a cult and saying, "He swears to me he loves it. He really wants to be here." Yeah, I disagree with that. That, but that's how I see it. I, right. Can you can you you know how do you, how do you how do you judge if this person is really happy or not? It's 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 not something that easy easy to, to answer if this person really really thinks that they're doing the right thing uh-huh. and it's difficult okay, so there's it's no question that it's difficult because i think a negative connotation because of cults and because of like just the whole but i understand what you're saying somebody says that they're happy walking on hot bricks they're really happy walking on hot bricks but like because of the immense feeling that they're gonna be rewarded for right, it right. so greatly right. they really want to do it and they want to they want to get another you know 10 minutes of of jewish studies and they want to pray again they want it because because you're you're collecting brownie points right and and they want to get as many of them as possible mm-hmm. um yeah i think that's who am a, i to judge you know right. i i don't know that that same person 
you know, going and watching a movie and enjoying himself would would really genuinely get more joy out of it. Now, again, for me, once I pass that threshold where I where I no longer believe in it, I cannot bring myself to to do things that I don't believe in and convince myself like, no, they're not that bad. You can only do it and be okay with it if you believe in it. Once you no longer believe in it, it all goes away. You can't get that same joy out of it. For you. For me. Yes. Right, because because it's just an empty... Um, Act. Right, that doesn't actually lead to anything, so... Yeah. That's it. It's, it's, it's gone. You can, no, you can never go back to that that's, same feeling that you had. That's why I wonder if... Okay, so I think we need to, to, to just explain, I think, maybe for people who don't know the root of that and why that is the case for you in particular, and probably many like you and even me in some ways, is that everything that you do on this earth, the belief that we grew up with, the belief that was hammered into our heads, is that we currently live on this earth and it is a temporary existence. And every single thing that you do on this earth is to set you up for success in the world to come, which in Hebrew is called olam haba, which is literally the, the world that is coming. So when you die, you pass on out of this world and everything that you've done in this world basically sends you to heaven or hell. And everything that you do that is a good deed or a mitzvah, mitzvah will get you one step closer to Olam Hava, which is... We'll get, you, we'll get you one step closer to to God's seat. To God's seat, literally. So the like closer literally, you are... Right, right literally. Like sitting at the, a table next to God. Right, the, close, the, the, the more good merits you have, the more holy of a person you have, the closer you will be, the more light there will be, the more... Yeah. The, 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 the more joyous of an experience it will be. Exactly. And then the um, more bad deeds you have, the closer you are to Gehenna, which is hell. And then there's a lot of talk around repentance once you're in hell and all the horrible things that happen to you there. And like, like really like just, I don't know, very um, vehemently creative, <laughs> very like illustrative examples that they gave us of like horrible things that happen to you when you're in hell because they, the point is that even when you're in hell, eventually like you'll do enough, you'll go through enough bad things down there that you'll be, uh, you know, kind of repented for your sins and then like you'll have made up for all the bad things you did on this <laughs> and earth. Then and you'll then you'll be allowed heaven. into heaven. And then you'll be allowed. Um, but eventually you get there. But wait, so I just want to make the connection. The point is that, so what we grew up with and this is, permeated into every single thing that we do from from the the more broad tasks that we do down to as specific things as putting on your shoes right like put on your right shoe first then your left shoe then tie your left shoe then tie your right shoe and then after you've touched your feet or your hands you have to wash your hands three times on each hand to get rid of the toma which is the impurity that comes from touching a part of your foot like these are it's like really it's intense so it really permeates every single act and every single thing that you do and so therefore every single piece of your life and this is intentional right because the point by design it's yeah it's the the point is that every single moment of your life throughout everything that you do you are thinking about god you are thinking about olam haba the world to come you're thinking about doing the right things to get there and it is helping to keep you in the bubble right for because they think that that's really where you should be in the right thing to do and so my point is that since so much of what we do down to like i said the tiniest things such as the way the arm that you put into your shirt first to the the most gracious or the more extreme acts of service that we do in the name of judaism such as fasting for 25 hours on yom kippur and atoning for your sins then all have some kind of a comp of connotation or connection to the religion and to 
the world to come and what it means. So nothing's ever simple. What you eat isn't simple. You have to say a blessing first. When you wash your hands, you have to do it in the right way. Nothing's ever simple. So I think that when you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you say it's sometimes hard for you to commit these acts of service in the name of Judaism, even if it's a little bit inconvenient for you, it's hard for you to do it just to do it because it's so closely connected with this idea of the point of doing this is to get one step closer to God to get one step through the gates of heaven. And that is such a ridiculous and like uncomfortable and even traumatic concept for you that it's hard for you to separate the act from the connotation. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. And also you, it, it's the unwillingness to to agree that, that, that any of that is true. So you right. almost, if you if you do this thing, right, you're rebelling. If you, if you sit yeah. down and you have a, a, a Seder and you set this whole thing up, you're you're acknowledging that this is what needs to be done. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, I would I would, oh, I would so interesting. I would almost be inclined to be like, hey, this is beautiful. We're all sitting here, we're all together. This is great. I'm so glad that I don't believe in this, and we're all here just having fun. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of put it on the table, like, hey, no one, don't don't get any ideas right. that I believe in any of this nonsense. And, and that's mostly yeah. for myself, obviously. Yeah. That's just like because I I I feel like I've fought to to leave that and to not have to do that anymore that I have to explain to myself, mm-hmm. but why are you still doing some of it? Like, why yeah. wh- why do you feel the need to do that? And I'm like, no, I don't feel the need. I This part, I enjoy it. I'm, or I'm doing it right. for for my friends or for my wife or whatever it is. Um, That's so interesting. And I feel like it's it's like kind of, it's almost like revisiting a trauma and then reassuring yourself that this is by choice. Like, it's... Yeah, that's intense because, and I don't have that same. I I think that my connotations were less, my associations are significantly less, and whatever I have my own um, like speculations as to why that is. Besides, for the fact that we grew up differently, the experience for men versus women is different. The experience in Israel versus the U.S. The experience in your community versus my community. Mine was just to a lesser degree, right? It was watered down just a bit. That's number one, and number two, I have like my own sort of theories about like the way that my mind would accommodate for the way that I uh, was able to do things that I wanted to do versus the way that I, my mind thought that I was doing the wrong thing all the time. Like my own way, my own psyche's method of dealing with the guilt, because that's basically what we're talking about here is guilt, right? So when you talk about Jewish guilt, that's what this is. So, but it's interesting to me and I'm like seeing it in a new perspective, because obviously I know that you do that, You you do that all the time, but I never thought about it in that way. So that's that's intense yeah it's kind of a, a subconscious thing it's not there right. you know you're not like front of your head with trauma. right you're not no like it's not it's definitely not like that it, but, but it's but it is intense and it is interesting and i think i i see that echoed in many of your siblings yeah probably yeah, yeah. so it's interesting to different different levels and again yeah. they, they they to this point have have different levels of observance each one ha- has their own path and uh-huh. right some don't believe at all some yeah. very much believe um and that's cool yeah whatever works so that's kind of your journey and how you got to where you are today almost i mean it's that's a short a bridge version that's kind of how you started questioning i think mine is different i think first of all where we ended up is similar in terms of practice so in terms of practical life experiences and that we 
have joined our lives together. So we're on the same page there in terms of the way that we are and what we do. But I think still to this day, we differ in terms of our belief system. So what I mean by that is that you, I think, consider yourself agnostic. Right, because I, I feel that need to have to, to have an answer to something. So like, right. yes. is this true? Is yes. it not true? I need to get to, the, to yes. the conclusion and decide and then based off of that, move on forward. Be like, okay, this doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm okay with enjoying parts of it and still doing, but having a concrete answer like, this is not for me. I'm not doing this. Yeah or God doesn't exist, or whatever it is, you are okay, you are more okay, I feel, in that yeah. gray area, like, yeah, maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure, and if he does, is this exactly what he wants, whatever, I can bend the rules a little bit, and do it my own way, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and kind of go with the flow, and yeah. and I need straighter lines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's basically, if you could describe the difference between the two of us in one sentence or a couple of sentences i think that's it you are incredibly logical incredibly direct incredibly rational and i live a little bit more in the gray that's for sure true so yes you are right so you again would probably categorize yourself as agnostic and i categorize myself as spiritual um so still undecided about god still undecided yeah and i'm kind of cool with that and i think something that's interesting for me is i was seeing a coach like a year or two ago, um, who was like phenomenal. Um, and she, we were talking about my background and just like some things I wanted to work on. And obviously the way I grew up, it has impacted significantly who I am today and, and the things that I, you know, love and, and excel at, but also the things I struggle with. And so in our conversation, she asked me, so where do you find spirituality today? And I was like, and I was like, <laughs> it was such a weird question. Did I ever tell you this? I don't think so. Yeah, and it was such a weird question. And I was like, um, oh my God, I don't know. And she's like, yeah. And I think for me, like where it hits me the hardest is that. So I am naturally a spiritual person, whereas I don't know that you are. So I think for me, the hardest thing about walking away from observant Judaism, one of the hardest things, because there's been many, has been the lack of spirituality in my life. And and I think also, and I'm going to talk a little bit about when I started questioning and when I started asking and when I started walking away, it was closely tied to you. Right. And so being around you, someone who's super, super rational, who's super logical, who's very black and white and all or nothing... I was kind of like, okay, so that's it. It doesn't exist. It's all BS. It's all garbage. And so then I like felt almost like guilty, not because of you, but because of like what I was trying to work through in my mind, I felt almost guilty around feeling spiritual about things connected to Judaism because of all of the wrong that I was seeing in it and because of all the the struggles I was having with it. And so when the coach said to me, so where do you find spirituality in your life? It was kind of like a a lightning bolt hit me where I was like, shit, I actually don't have that right now. And I think that kind of almost opened up the door for me to start looking for ways to find the spirituality in Judaism and be comfortable to sit in the gray and to not necessarily know. And I think when we talk a lot, when I talk about like what I want people to get out of this podcast, I think what would be cool for someone to walk, what I hope someone can walk away with in this episode is that you don't necessarily have to know or you could try. So for you, you have to know. There's a there's a yes or a no, there's a rational, there's a I need to know this without 
a shadow of a doubt or, you know, with a very small shadow of a doubt that no God exists and that the blah, blah, blah. And then for me, it's like, I don't necessarily know that. Like the answers that people have given me around why he does or or they or some sort of spiritual being exists or why they don't exist, like I can kind of go either way. Like I think that in my heart, I believe that there is something out there, some sort of celestial being but that's also i understand obviously my heart has a lot to do with my brain my brain has been thoroughly brainwashed so i'm obviously very much aware of that and cognizant of that but at the same time like you said i think that if something out there in the world does exist it doesn't care which shoe i put on first it doesn't care if i wear pants it doesn't care if i you know talk to members of the opposite sex it certainly didn't care about that when i was growing up and so i think that's kind of like where i've gotten to the place where we say living in the gray and um being comfortable with the not knowing so that's like where i am and well, I think there's always a, there's always going to be a certain amount of that i don't have to have every answer to every well, question yes, I'm making it's to right like, i'm saying yeah. it's more it's more <laughs> a matter of things that i do on a daily basis yes. i want to have a reason mm-hmm. and if i don't have a good enough reason i will not do them mm-hmm um, and I think to have I a concept of, of of potentially there being some sort of being that may and may not care what I do maybe out there, I'm okay with that being a question mark and until I know otherwise, you know, sort of ignore it and if I have more information, I'll go based off of that information right. as long as it's not dictating my day-to-day yeah. um, because I'm not atheist. That would require me to know that these things don't exist and... I don't know, right. um, but again, it's more a matter of like, I doubt that it exists, and if it did exist, that it would want these right. specific things, and right. if I didn't do these specific things, that it would be upset at me, and if it would be upset at me, even though it's so great that it would want to punish me, mm-hmm. like too many questions pile on top of each other that bring me to the point of like, okay, I'm not going to do that regardless of if there being some kind of shred of, of a chance of, of there being something out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But again, I don't have to have every single answer. Right. It's not it's not, you know, debilitating my my daily activity not having every answer. Yeah. If something is strong enough in my life, I will I will look for the answer for that if it's something that's affecting my life, but I definitely by no means have every answer to every question. That's true. And thanks for calling that out cuz obviously, yeah. And I think in that way we're more similar than different. It's just right. in the reverse. But I think that what we have in common here is that when you live a Jewish Orthodox life, you are required to do certain things in the daily. Um, some things are more have a higher priority of requirement and some things have a lower priority. So, you know, let's say uh, davening or praying three times a day is something you're supposed to do. But if you don't, it's like, OK, whatever. Um, Again, depends on who you depends ask. Depends on who you talk to. But I'm talking about in, a, in like a more modern way of living, let's say. Um, but like things like Shabbat and kosher, those are a given. You have to do them. Things like dressing a certain way, covering your hair after women covering their hair after married, after being married, things like that. So anyways, so the point is that what we're both saying is that to do all of those things might be fine, but we don't really believe that even if something out there exists, and maybe I lean more on the something out there does exist, and you lean more on the something out there likely does not exist. Right. Our common thread here is that if something out there exists, they don't care if we do these things. And therefore, since those things are actually going to hinder our life and maybe take away from our enjoyment, we opt not to do them. And that is not saying 
that those things do not bring enjoyment to other people and that they aren't beautiful in their observance in their own way. It's just that we, at our point and at this point in our lives, don't find love and joy um, in doing those things as a have to. Right. But I mean, those things, definitely some of them have some beauty. But again, going back to our point before, I think that you see them more as these things have a lot of beauty in them. And I see it more as like, yeah, they have a beauty in it as long as you believe in it. And once right. you no longer believe in it, most of that beauty is gone. It's yeah. it's all based off of the fact that you're doing something greater right. for something bigger who wants you to do this and you owe it to them kind of thing. And therefore, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Once that all goes away, most of it goes away from me. For you. And that's for me. more yeah. because the connection is closely tied. So I wonder, like, let's say if we go to my parents for a Shabbat meal and I cover my hair. Or we have friends over for Shabbat and I cover my hair, right? I wear a mitpachat, which is a scarf to cover my hair in the style of married Jewish woman. That is funny for you. But that's but that's a good example of there are so many things that are happening in one meal that you might go to that just have a Shabbat meal. Some of them are kind of ridiculous, but definitely there are some beautiful things. There's nothing wrong with with family getting together and having a meal together. I don't necessarily believe in them being forced to do that. But at the same time, if they are forced to do that, it's just what you do and everyone does it. There is benefits to that. There yes. are there are times where other families wouldn't find the time to do it. And yes. now the fact that you are kind of obligated to do that, right. not us, but the fact that people within or that culture are phone, obligated to do that, mm-hmm. right, or turning off your phone. Yeah. And then within that same meal that you would go to, you are doing so many odd prayers and lifting bread, putting down, <laughs> praying on a, on, a, on a glass of wine, uh-huh. rinse, washing off your hands in a very specific way. Right. All these rituals that I don't think have any, any real benefit. Right. Um, Still add to the beauty. But, but it's hard I don't for know that they add to the beauty. I don't think, I don't think right. that there's anything think wrong with it. Right. You think they add to the beauty, but I'm saying, so there are different things that are, again, it's not, nothing to do with how difficult they are. Certain things just are beneficial. Right. But that doesn't make it any more or less true. Like if the whole thing is not true, yeah. it doesn't take away from the fact that, that it's beautiful to sit down with your family and have a, and have right. a meal. And if something's more or less beautiful, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's not true. Right. But again, I can't, I can't convince myself, which is, where, which is where I differ from a lot of people. People will try to use that as a, as a reasoning to believe. Like look at all the good that it does. To me, it's okay, but so what? I can't, I can't look at the things and say they are so beautiful Therefore, I'll somehow convince myself that it's true and do it. Those are two very different things. Right, if it's I mean, true, yeah. it's true. And right. if it's not, it's not. And if I can see the beauty in it and I can still uh, benefit from that, I can still participate in those parts that I see uh, to be beneficial, great. Um, but that's not going to change my opinion on how true or untrue it is. I hear you. I think that's very much your experience and your um, point of view and that makes a lot of sense and even though it's different than other people like for example we have friends at, and even similar to me who are kind of like yeah I don't necessarily believe it but I love what it brings to me and my family so I'm going to do it anyway and that's cool that's their choice you can't make that choice but that's their choice yeah it's more of an emotional versus yeah. logical yeah, it depends on the fine. personality um, And but what I was saying before is 
for me putting on a bafat like you're like you look like a you always say you look like a lady <laughs> you look like a like a jewish lady you don't look like kayla you look like a lady you know and it's like weird for you like why would you choose to put that on your head you don't believe in it you're not doing it for your parents they don't really care um at this point <laughs> and and so why are you doing that but for me it's like it's not it's like playing dress up but i don't really i don't feel like i'm pretending i don't feel like i'm faking i feel like i'm doing it to do it so it's just yeah but yeah. I, but i think that part of you also is scared of of losing it completely you want to yeah. kind of uh-huh. hold on to it uh-huh. just a little bit mm-hmm. not commit too much mm-hmm. but still want to keep a couple strings attached yeah. you still want to be right so so you you, you do these yeah. things like I'm still part of this. I'm still, it's, it's kind of for yourself to, to keep that connection. Yeah. And I think it's because for me, I referenced before that the way that I dealt with doing things that I wanted to do versus spending all day at school being told that I wasn't allowed to do the things that I wanted to do is I learned to disconnect. Uh, and that's something I still struggle with today, having a disconnect in certain places. Like I, I would be able to go to school, fully believe, learn Torah, be surrounded by teachers that I admired and loved and also like hated and had some bad experiences too. But I'm talking about just the good side of it, right? And being told you can't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't whatever. And like kind of roll my eyes with my friends like, oh, you shouldn't talk to boys when I was talking to boys anyway. No, this and that and whatever. But then literally like leave school, turn off that part of my brain and go hang out with boys on the beach and go have boyfriends and go, you know, do different things that I was told that I wouldn't be doing. And so that's like kind of that disconnect. And so I think that part of me hanging on to certain things that don't necessarily make sense or aren't necessarily logical is me combating that disconnect or me being afraid of that disconnect that like if I just walk away then I'm gonna like lose it completely um even though I I never will obviously you won't either <laughs> you could live in the middle I, of nowhere I, and not do anything I, won't I don't lose, think you lose I won't it. lose the scars that I have I don't think you would no, I know. I'm saying right. it's 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 you can't. You right. can you can try to, but it's, no, but it's etched into who you are. The identity of it, also. Like I won't even if okay. So like so. Right. No, I won't lose it. I won't lose it. Nor am I trying to lose right, it. Right. Exactly. I am, I am. I am proud of it. Again, I am not proud of every aspect of it. I'm not right. proud of, of of everything. But but generally, as you know, being a Jew is who we are. You know, yeah, as a people. Yeah. Of course, I'm very proud of it. Hell yeah. But but yeah, and we're being a little bit vague about the strings. For me, for example, something that I'm really strict about is not eating not kosher meat. So I will eat only kosher meat, but I will eat vegetarian at a non-kosher restaurant. So like salads or pastas or pizza or whatever it is. But I'm also like, I usually ask, you know, is this, are these french fries fried in the same fryer as non-kosher items? I won't eat seafood um, and things like that. And and when people ask why I do it, I give two reasons. And the first reason I say is it's the only thing I do. I don't dress Sanua modestly. I don't observe Shabbat. I don't, you know what I mean? Like I'm very, we're very traditional, but that's kind of like the only religious quote unquote thing I do. So I'm going to keep it. And that's kind of what I'm saying here is that it's a little bit around the fear, even though I'll never lose it. There's still that fear and, 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 and even, even not fear. It's even that guilt that, that still 100% exists. And then the second reason that I say is that I already have a weak stomach. I already am a picky eater and I already get, um, you know, kind of grossed out by things that I'm not like used to or comfortable with to begin with. So not knowing where the meat is coming from or not knowing whatever, it's just like another layer. And then you and I right, always, again, but that's a still, that's a brainwashing. Exactly. That's you and I somehow, always laugh about that. that somehow right. meat that is not slaughtered a certain way or that, that is not kosher is, 
dirtier or not as good well, it's not dirty. regardless of, of of how fancy of a restaurant right, you're at right. or whatever it is no it's true like what is the difference between a grilled chicken breast that i buy in a kosher store and make at home or go and eat in a kosher restaurant versus going to like a clean upscale nice non-kosher place that is just it's literally just white meat chicken cutlet that's that's grilled there is no difference so that is for sure you're correct it's a 100 like it's a it's a thing in my it's in my head that's totally right. true, and yeah, but it, but it okay manifests it. physically. Yes, it, it, does. it is. You have such such strong yes. feelings about it that that if you would think about eating yes. it, you would get a stomach ache. Correct. Right. Yes. Yes, one hundred percent. But I'm also like fine with it. I don't have a desire to go right. out there and do it. So yeah, so I think a little bit about, so that's kind of where I am versus where you're obviously a lot more free, especially with what you eat because you love food. <laughs> I do. And so that's really the, also again here, the, the kind of bringing it back is that for me, it's not a restriction. For you, it's a restriction. What, I should go somewhere and not be able to eat the food that I want to eat? Fuck that. But for me, it's not a restriction. Yeah, I, th- I think that, you, that you've convinced yourself of that a little bit. Like we've gone places where you're like, oh, this menu looks so cool. I'm really in the mood of a good burger, yes. but I can't. All I have to get is some pastry or some pasta or whatever. So, yeah, you you but can't I'm... you can't necessarily eat it right. because even if you were willing to, you can't because it's going to make you nauseous if you thought of eating it. Right. But the fact that you can't eat it is still restricting you, and it's not like right. you don't have any desire. Regardless of like there's two that you still would really want to eat it, but then if you decided to mm-hmm. you would then decide not to right, right? but but no, it is still a restricting holding me back yeah but i'm fine with it okay yeah so that's a little bit about what we've gone through and, and a little bit about where we are today so so let's talk a little bit about our relationship with judaism now how about that sure okay so i think something That happened to me recently. I'll kick off. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Something that happened to me recently that I felt like I felt like it was a sign that I finally came to a good place with my relationship with Judaism and where I am is that I went to shul to synagogue on Yom Kippur this year. And Yom Kippur is the day of atonement where you don't eat for 25 hours. And in our community, most people spend all day in synagogue praying. And I hadn't been, I used to go every single year. My parents still get me, you know, you have to to buy a seat at the synagogue for Yom Kippur so that you have like where to sit and stand and pray with your congregation. And I hadn't been to Shul Synagogue in Yom Kippur in a couple of years because of COVID. This was the first year that I went in two years. And I think COVID also was a significant shift in my, at least I'll speak for me, not for you, in my relationship with religion and observance in Judaism, because before COVID, many of our friends lived close by. They were all similar in age. We had all kind of like newly married a couple of years and we would do Shabbat together all the time. And then over COVID, we weren't allowed to see each other. People were quarantining, people were by themselves. And so we stopped doing Shabbat as in Shabbat Shabbat like doing a meal Friday night and the day and cooking the whole thing and going through the whole gambit and being only with friends and not being on technology and not going out and not driving and all that sort of stuff and in COVID we really started using our Saturdays for ourselves so like hiking and errands and trips and time just for us or even just relaxing at home watching TV and stuff like that and so that was already like a shift from just societally the way that we related with orthodoxy in general and then going to shul in yom kippur after two years of not going and kind of really being distanced 
from the orthodox way of life I had a really beautiful experience there and I didn't go you know all day I went for a couple of hours in the morning I went with my mom and I just like prayed what I wanted to pray I didn't get caught up on keeping up on the services with the pace with everybody else I didn't get too hung up because a lot of the services and prayers of Yom Kippur is made up of atoning for your sins because it's the day of atonement the day of repentance and so I didn't get too caught up on the whole khatasi and all that which means like I sinned and like the atonement piece of it because I I felt for the first time that I honestly didn't feel that I had sinned I felt that maybe according to the people that are around me I did things that I wasn't supposed to do but I in my heart for the first time don't believe that I have anything to repent for and so I just kind of was able to be in the moment and a lot of the services are made up of singing also so I was able to like be in the moment and listen to the singing of the prayers and just really feel like surrounded by my community and feel that connection and feel that spirituality and feel that love and walk away and I did fast because that's um, important to me to still do to fast on Yom Kippur and I felt like I'm finally at a place where I have a love for my people and my faith and I observe it in the way that I want to observe it and we're traditional and we do Shabbat meals with friends and we have our kosher kitchen and we do Pesach and we do, you know, we do it but we do it in our own way and, and it's not, it's not done, it's not, it's not anymore coming from a, a place of bitterness or resentment, it's coming from a place of love and compassion and so for me that was like a really, I think, pivotal moment. Yeah, and I did not go to shul. <laughs> <laughs> or fast. Or fast, exactly. Have you had any? I, I don't have that same connection, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I don't. I don't. Feel, I don't feel like I need to have that same. I don't need to find the place where I'm comfortable mm-hmm. and do it in my own way because I. I, I don't really need to do it. So right. I wouldn't go and and pray in my pace or anything like that because I. I, I wouldn't connect to that at all. Right. So. I don't go there again. My my relationship with Judaism now is more of a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I um, I'm anti it and I wouldn't be willing or able to. Meaning, there are certain things where we culturally do. For example, um, if it's the week before someone's wedding, there's certain ceremonies and certain um, Torah portions that they read in synagogue. So I would gladly go there for a friend. I would go to to the prayers and I would sit down and I would. I would participate, but I, I, in my mind, I wouldn't be doing anything holy. But yeah. I wouldn't have a problem with it, and I wouldn't. It's not like it's not like I'm I'm burnt from it. Therefore, I I don't want to go and and I can't participate. But it's again, it's it's either for my friends or for my family, or cultural, um, and there are definitely things that are that I enjoy and that are beautiful, even not for any specific reason, or that I'm there for some for someone else even just for myself, but it's a very different type of connection. It's more of a of a tradition. It would be it would be similar to to, you know, sitting around the table and, and singing songs of you know, that you that you sing as a kid growing up with your old friends or something yeah. like that. It's there's this uh this reminiscent, you know, nostalgia. this this nostalgia feeling but but to me it doesn't involve any any religious aspect. Mm-hmm. Um if I think about it, then the religious aspect might pop up, but that will just take away from it, not not put more in. But it, but again, it doesn't it doesn't it, it doesn't scare me away because because other people are doing it for different reasons. There are certain parts that I that I still connect to and I feel are are beautiful and I enjoy them. Like the singing. Yeah, sometimes 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the food. <laughs> food, yes. There's always food. There's always food. I feel like that's that's part of the scam of Judaism. There's always, <laughs> other than a few very, other than a few exceptions of obviously like fasts and stuff like that. But other than that, all Jewish holidays always have lots and lots of food, and everything involves food, or, and every holiday has its own special food. Yeah. That's part of the scam. They reel you in with that, and yeah. you, yeah, it, it works. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for sharing. Sure. I Thank you. You're welcome. I think what's special about this is that. Like we said in our own ways is that we have a tremendous love for our people and our culture and our traditions and who we are and and we never ever want to change that and I think um, we're really lucky to have grown up in a community that loves its people, has some really wonderful community values, looks out for each other and I think although we've spent a lot of time talking about the things that we dislike about the community, we could spend just as much time talking about the things that we do like about the community. So I, I just want to leave with that message that, you know, there's a reason we didn't like using the word ultra orthodox because it has this like super negative connotation. And, and many of the people that we love today obser- are observant and have beauty in it. And we like to playfully joke with them and debate with them. And there's a mutual respect, I think, on both sides from their end and from our end that each of us has chosen the path that best suits us in our life that makes us happy and i think the most important thing especially you know maybe in another episode we'll go into a little bit more about some other things about the way that we grew up but i think the most important thing especially after the way that we have all grown up is that we're happy we found our happy we found our happy yeah <laughs> and, and we not and obviously we we don't we're not judging the people who are in that in that community. We're not our friends and our family members. Yeah, we love them. We, the best. Even though we are, in a way, passing judgment, at least I am, I am kind of passing judgment on the religion and on right, its, but not on the and people on, who right, and on its uh, validity, but but not on the people who choose to do it and how they got there and why they do it. Why they and, stay and, and why they find uh, it. And judge why them they as people. It, right. Yeah. They, they, each one does their own thing. This is just, a, we're just talking about our journey. So we're going to talk about our journey. Right. Yeah. But yeah, we're really lucky to be where we are and to be a part of this community and um, it's the best. And to be comfortable with what we're doing and no longer yeah. have to feel guilty for, for anything. Right. You do it in your pace, do it how you feel, mm-hmm. you do what you connect with. Yeah. yeah. That l- no longer having that shame it mm-hmm. makes it much, much more enjoyable. the podcast with two questions so the first question is what is your favorite jewish food favorite jewish food um and it doesn't have to be just one so i used to think that passover food somehow was really was really really good <laughs> specifically the first night of passover uh-huh. after the seder but i've came to the conclusion that it's just because they starve you for hours <laughs> reading and the also, whole book and, and you don't get to eat anything and then you're like oh my god this food's amazing this salty potato exactly butter. so i don't think there's anything that special no, but i think it's there. also that like um that with all of the chagim with all of the holidays like it's a feast it's not just a meal it's a feast right. so like right. on a regular weeknight maybe you have chicken or meat but on a passover dinner it's a it's a roast and right. lots of sides so like it is special but it's not like yeah it's not like particularly delicious right and now yeah. i'm a big uh meat eater i love meat so I don't think there's any there's any specific holiday that has that as the main meat. right. I, yeah, I, come there, on. 
but but well, again, like I, I, I love I love fried foods. food as much as the next person, and there's lots of there's good lots fried, of fried food, food especially, especially now <laughs> Hanukkah coming up. Hanukkah. Uh, but I just want to pause for a second and say, of course, there's no special meat that's a Jewish food, at least in like our Ashkenaz Jewish community, because most of the Jewish foods were created because they were poor and they had to conserve. So like, what's gefilte fish? It's yes, all the are, leftover fish right, together. A lot of what's cholent? Right. So like, yeah, obviously there's no like fancy meat that would be, but okay. But <laughs> so what's your favorite? What's your favorite Jewish food? I don't know if I had to choose, I would think of, you know, uh, a, a good donut, a good mm. jelly donut. Um, yeah, not a donut. It's different. Right. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It's not, I don't really have any yeah. super strong feelings about I any Jewish food. I love potato kugel. <laughs> <laughs> I love potato kugel and I love latkes, which is like latkes. It's like almost like a fried pancake version of potato kugel. Um, and just because we're around Hanukkah time, so like that's for sure on my mind. But I also love schnitzel, like a good schnitzel with like Israeli salad. I love, some of these are like just Mediterranean foods, schnitzel, shakshuka, hummus, tahina, all that. But I think like, I just love all Jewish foods. I think the one thing that's like Anything controversial. that's fried dough with some kind of meat, meat on it. Yum. It's always amazing. Lekas or lachmajin. Lachmajin, mm. kibbe, anything. Yeah. Fry it and put good meat on it. It's good. Delish. But yeah, cool. Thanks. And? And the second question is, can you please share one thing about yourself that you love or that you're proud of? Um, proud of my work ethic. I think I'm a pretty hard worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm proud of, of where I came from, you know, and, and growing up, I, I had these these dreams of, of, of doing more, but never really believed that anything can be done mm-hmm. that's part of the bubble again this is what you're expected to do you're expected to go mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. at most get a mediocre job yep. stay in your in your lane and i feel like i have to at least a certain extent um broken that barrier and i feel like i keep trying to break it further and go go further and and having uh small successes um so i'm, I'm proud of where i've where i've come from and and where I've gone where I am I'm proud of you too thanks yeah I would also like to say something that I love about you but I think you kind of took the words right out of my mouth but I think you are the hardest worker that I know and I'm also really proud of you where you came from and who you are and you inspire me every day and you said small wins but it's big wins big successes (laughs) love you love you too okay that's it that's it Thanks for listening to this episode of Who We Are and What Makes Us Human. If you like the episode, feel free to rate it on Spotify and tap to subscribe so you know when more episodes are released. You can also find me on social media at Who We Are Podcast on Instagram or on my personal page at Kayla May Cedar. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, feel free to hit me up and we can chat about making it happen. Have a beautiful week, friends. Oh,